to express a sacred story and to extend a common table that animate life by love. A primary expression of our sacred story is the weekly sermon. If our sermons inspire you to ponder the sacred, to consider the mystery and love of God, and to live bountifully, would you consider supporting our work? You can donate easily and securely at our website, pearlchurch.org, or follow the link in the podcast notes. Thank you for partnering with us in expressing this sacred story. God who lives and moves and dwells within each of us and in this community of faith. Remind us again today of your faithful work in our lives. Encourage us to continue to look to you and trust you to lead us into greater love and inclusion as participants in this one beautiful and wild life that we've been given. Amen. Well, this is an exciting Sunday. I'm, I'm excited to be here, and I'm a little anxious to see how this is going to work with having people coming in and out of the, the conversation, but we'll give it a try. So, so here we go. 20 years. 20 years isn't all that much time. I mean, really, when you think about it, 20 years in terms of the age of a person 20 years just isn't that old, right? I mean, I have a 20-year-old. How much life experience do 20-year-olds have? How much wisdom have they gained or education or conviction or tolerance or empathy or resiliency? What am I getting at? Well, I'm not trying to put down 20-year-olds, but I do want us to think of this community, this church, as a 20-year-old living, breathing, and evolving being, who's learning by making mistakes and failing, getting it wrong and sometimes getting it right, a living being who's being tempered through the experience of suffering and sorrow and integrating the whole of life to be more authentic, who's not totally growing up all the way yet, but has just begun. As I begin to share the story of Pearl Church in the last 20 years, I'll be thinking about it and breaking it up into kind of classic stages of human development. Like a a human being, Pearl Church has gone through infancy and adolescence and now into adulthood. And then in each phase, I'll be inviting some guests to join me to share their experience of being a part of this community and what it was like for them. So... Let's start at the beginning. Pearl Church began meeting as a small group of young people without children, similar in age, theology, and expectations in the summer of 2001. Mike and Jen Roth, along with the other founding pastor, invited a few people to begin meeting and dreaming and praying together about starting a church. Then in the spring of 2002, They sent out their first invite to folks in the Pearl District to join in an Easter service. Now, there are precious few of the original Pearl people still with us. Of course, Mike and Jen and Joseph and Amy Reed are still here from the original core that started in 2001. 
The first meeting place Pearl Church actually occupied in the Pearl District was in the art gallery room of the Pentagon Rest Paragon, excuse me, Paragon Restaurant on Northwest 13th. The bar in the back of the room at that time was used as the altar for our communion. Brian Cheney and my family joined the church in those early days and helped with music. I was pregnant when I first visited Pearl with my third, and the only other children were my two and two other girls from another family that attended. This little tiny group of kids under the age of four would meet during the service outside of the Paragon in the Roth's Irving Street loft, which is around the corner from the Paragon, because there was no space in the gallery room for kids' classes. But we were a group of people connected together by our certainty, our dogma, and the common walls that we had built around our faith. We also loved being in the Pearl District and wanted there to be a vibrant faith community present in this up-and-coming new neighborhood of Portland. I'd like to invite Mike to join me to talk about those early years. Thanks, Mindy. Uh, yeah. a, a few questions that you, you asked me to think about. One was, what stands out to me from those early years as I look back now? And I would say uh, what comes to mind the most is probably hope, uh, a whole lot of hope, hope that we could nurture into life a community of faith, hope that our efforts would find resonance in the hearts of others. And, and really, I felt hope um, that we would be able to grow old together, uh, not just as individuals, but, but as a community of, of faith. And then I'd say besides hope, probably also uh, naivete. <laughs> Honestly, we were so very young, and we were so full of the ideas and theologies that the previous generation had passed on to us, but we had yet to really exist in the world with our ideas and our theologies. It was kind of like having our driver's license, but we were still driving our parents' car. <laughs> it's what it, what it felt like, at least as I look back on that season, um, uncertain of what we would grow up and become for ourselves. And so I see that time as a, as a hopeful time, as a tender time, and really as, a, as an uncertain time, because we ourselves were, were really just growing up into adulthood. Uh, another question that you had asked me to think about was perhaps share what some of the certainty dogma and walls were that defined the community. And I would say, you know, out of that sentence that you asked me to think about, the word certainty really stands out to me. So much certainty. To use Richard Rohr's language from falling upward, we were still happily residing in the first container of life. And so we, we had this really large doctrinal statement, like most conservative churches, that, that just explained everything that we thought we knew so much about, how to be saved, how to get to heaven, when Jesus will return, who can belong, and who can lead, and who can speak. And I remember at the time thinking that the whole point of it all was to get people to think like we thought. And really, that's what our faith was at the time, trying to think right thoughts and trying to get others to think those thoughts along with us. 
And so back then, my dream for Pearl was that we would save the world. I, I really thought that was the whole idea of this thing called church, that we were to save the world and all of its precious people from going to a place called hell. And I remember early on walking into EcoTrust and thinking, even praying, Lord, please use this church to save these people. And by these people, I meant EcoTrust people who over time became for me a primary inspiration for my own evolution as a human. Uh, the people and work of EcoTrust, I came to realize, were transforming people and communities and economies and problematic ecological issues. And they were changing all of those things for good. And over time, their goodness began to feel and taste and smell like the gospel uh, that I was beginning to slowly wake up to. Thank you, Mike. Love it. Well, in 2006, we moved away from this lengthy doctrinal statement that Mike mentioned, and we grounded our community in the Apostles' Creed, which situated our community in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. This began to move us away from some of that certainty and dogma and into a more spacious place to consider the essence of our Christian faith and life together. The biggest shift this brought about was the decision to allow women to preach, teach, and lead ministries. This decidedly transitioned us away from the conservative dogma that we started with and pointed us in the direction of greater inclusion and participation by everyone in the body of Christ. I remember being asked on a particular Sunday if I would be willing to lead the prayers of the people from the front during the service. At that time, I was still really struggling with what I believed about women participating in leadership the way Pearl was allowing. As Mike mentioned, I'd been given a set of rules, but I'd never really thought about what they meant for myself. I declined the invitation, honestly, because my view of God was one of fear. I feared that if I led and I made a mistake in some way, that I would be dishonoring God. And I was scared I would pray the wrong thing, as if that were possible. And then I remember the first woman preaching on a Sunday. And that, too, was very difficult for me. All of these shifts caused a little mini crisis of faith and challenged me to consider what I believed for myself. And ultimately, I did get to a place where my thinking and my convictions changed about these things, obviously, but it took some time. And there were many times in those early transitional days that um, we were moving away from traditional gender roles that my family and I questioned if we should stay at Pearl. I'm so grateful that we elected to stay because as it turned out, as Pearl began to toddle its way towards adolescence, I was also learning to walk by way of a different faith than the one that I'd grew up knowing. Pearl was an exciting place to be in those early years. It was a very young and lively group of people who were wanting more out of their faith than what they'd been handed. All churches are built and run by flawed human beings, right? So we certainly had some ups and downs in that first decade, but steadily through it all, we grew and grew. In fact, we grew to a point where um, in 2008, we needed three services to accommodate uh, the numbers of people that were coming and joining our community. 
And then in 2010, we moved away from an eldership model of leadership to an oversight team model, at which point women began serving at every level at Pearl. I think of this as Pearl's first big move of adolescence. This decision really pushed all the wrong buttons for some people who were on the fence already about women teaching and preaching and leading. But let me tell you, the women who we had leading and teaching in those early days at Pearl were powerhouse women, passionate, dynamic, brilliant, poised, and confident. Their voices cut through every doubt that having women lead would be of any offense to some hierarchical, hierarchical theology. I learned I loved learning from, from these women, a few, Karen Howells, Rachel Utman, who both since have moved on from Pearl, and most especially from our dear Melissa Moner, who is still a part of this community today. And I'd like to join, have Melissa join me here now. Hi, Melissa. Hey, thank you for inviting me to share, Mindy. And it's been Good for me to reflect on these years, and I'm grateful for the many changes that Pearl has made since its inception. Yeah. I came to Pearl about 15 years ago at the invitation of a friend, and I've attended church all my life. The churches I've attended prior to Pearl were more conservative than Pearl currently um, is, but there was never any restriction on the role of women in the church. I grew up in a denomination that forbade everything from cigarettes to cards, and yet the founding pastor <clears throat> over a hundred years ago was a woman. The church I attended prior to coming to Pearl invited me to serve as an elder when I was 33. I didn't agree with Pearl's stance on women, and yet there were different kinds of opportunities for pastoral care that drew me to Pearl. I remember when Mike offered an evening series of studies on three main views of women in the church. Shortly after that, elders in the church were renamed to oversight team members, and I was invited to serve as an oversight team member. As you might expect, very devout and thoughtful people left the church as a result of my stepping into that role, including a person I would consider a friend. It was painful. I felt welcomed and comfortable on the oversight team, and like with any organization, there are power dynamics. Uh, and like with any leadership role, there's the burden of having information that not everyone has and trying to navigate hard situations internally with integrity and transparency. I was grateful for the opportunity to share my vision for the church as an oversight team member on an annual basis. Uh, and it was fun and stressful to serve on the preaching team for a while and to have a venue to share what felt like words of truth with a community I loved. As for women having the opportunity to lead at Pearl in 2010, I reflect on how religious organizations protected by law can continue to participate and perpetuate in what now feels to me like discrimination. I have heard it said that Sunday morning is the most segregated hour of the week, and I think the segregation has permitted us to live insular lives with insular thinking and objectify people who are different than the homogenous majority. In many ways, my Christian formation around loving my neighbor has come from working in a secular workplace where diversity is mandated and valued. I'm grateful Pearl has taken steps to open leadership and membership to allow for more diverse voices. We all have our blind spots, 
and people get hurt in blind spots. Mm -hmm. I'm concerned that to hinder people's voices based on their characteristics who otherwise embody the spirit of truth is to hinder the voice of God. I will close by sharing with you a quote from the late Senator and civil rights leader, John Lewis, from his book, Across That Bridge, that captures how I feel about leadership and how it is not necessarily a role for the privileged and is often a role for the historically marginalized who help us see what it means to be truly Christian. Senator Lewis writes, but real leaders are not appointed. They emerge out of the masses of people and rise to the forefront through their circumstances of their lives. Either their inner journey or their human experience prepares them to take that role. They do not nominate themselves. They are called into service by a spirit moving through a people that points to them as the embodiment of the cause they serve. And I pray we will always create space for those whom the spirit has called. Thank, Thank you. you so much, Melissa. Amen. Can see why, why Melissa has been such a treasure in our community. Thank you so much. In 2010 to 2014, it was really an amazing time to be at Plural. Things were really starting to happen. We were growing in numbers, and it felt like we had the full energy, passion, and enthusiasm of a teenager who's picking up steam. Just a group of young college-age somethings and empty nesters. We had more families attending than ever before in the children's ministry, which had always been super minuscule, like basically all my kids and then the Roths once they started having kids and just a couple of others began to grow and blossom. Um, and there was talk even during those years about getting our own space somewhere in the Pearl District. We even had a building committee at one point designated to scoping out possible properties. And we were transforming from the place of certainty where we started into a community that welcomed complexity and mystery, letting go of dogma that placed some people above others and truly living life together. And our leadership was just beginning to address one of the bigger walls that was starting to crack and crumble. The world around us was redefining marriage and major changes were happening on many levels for LGBTQ plus individuals. Our leadership, too, our leaders were thinking about it, what it would mean for the church, and were re-examining their own beliefs on what God says about same-sex marriage. And I'd like to invite Mike back to join us to share a little bit about that time in Pearl's history. Thanks, Mindy. Uh, share about the early conversations and struggles in examining your perspective on gay marriage as an individual and a pastor of Pearl. Uh, that's a great question. During my early years at Pearl, I had continued to pursue theological education. And the further I went into academics, the more my heart and mind opened, especially in relation to what the Bible is and what the nature of Jesus' gospel is which I'd come to realize was from the very beginning supposed to be good news. And not necessarily good news to religious people, but, but good news especially to people who were outside of religion, uh, to the marginalized, to the unclean, uh, to the few. 
And as that was happening, as a pastor, I was meeting so many people and I was learning so many things. I remember sitting with two gay men, and, and this was before the legalization of marriage for queer couples, but I remember sitting with them and listening to their desire to share in covenantal life together. And their sharing touched me deeply because they were saying everything that you want to hear from two people who desire to marry. And, and so I was, I was, I was learning so much and, and I was beginning to understand church history and a more historical lens through which to think about the Bible and theology. And then I had these, I was having these experiences pastorally over and over and over again. And, and this, these two things put into conflict my belief system. Um, it was this tension that became impetus for my own change and growth as, as a human. Uh, you ask what it's like for what it was like for me to dive headfirst into this conversation um, of potentially opening our church up to gay marriage, and um, what, what it was what it was like for me. And I would say that that my schooling and my experiences, and then back in 2014, I had my second sabbatical. And so besides doing some schooling for that sabbatical, I was just reading so many books and articles and having so many conversations with various people about gay marriage um, and about what the Bible says and about what history says and about what theologians are saying. And um, I came back from that second sabbatical uh, because of my education, because of my experiences. And, and, and I don't know, you know, in like spiral dynamics, they talk about progressing from one color to another color and yeah. you can help people progress from one color to another color if their color is wobbling but if it's not wobbling you can't make somebody's color wobble uh it was kind of like that I, I can't really explain everything that influenced my color wobbling but but it was it was dramatically and i would even say violently shaking uh, as I was moving into a, a different uh, sphere of consciousness and so i returned from that sabbatical uh full, uh, with a full heart, uh, full of hope and determination. Uh, not necessarily that, that Pearl would, would make the decision that I thought was right, but, but bringing it before the board and confidently insisting that we at least have the conversation. Mm. And um, you asked what compelled me to press into the issue regardless of cost. And I would say trajectory has, has been big for me, realizing that the Bible um, isn't calling us back to the first century to, to, to live like early Christians lived because that time was incredibly misogynistic and racist and a whole bunch of other things, certainly less by Jesus' time than we see in, for example, Exodus and Numbers and, and Deuteronomy, uh, but still uh, needing to move so much further from where the Bible concludes. And, and so realizing that the Bible isn't pulling us back, but actually propelling us forward to be on the front end of what it means to make space for, for the least um, among us. I, I just held that so tightly in my, in my heart. And I knew that the conversation was, was needed and, and was very hopeful that the movement could, could happen. Thank you, Mike. Mm -hmm. Thank you. 
Well, I came on the board with Mike and several others in April of 2015 in place of someone who was stepping down. And I had a lot of catching up to do at that point. I remember the board had been in dialogue and study for months and months at this point, debating, heatedly debating even the issue of same-sex marriage and whether or not um, same-sex couples and people could participate fully at every level of leadership, service in the church. We had several meetings once I joined where the conversation just went around and around and around in circles, making it really clear that we weren't going to reach a consensus on this topic. Uh, this conversation went on for, I believe, like a year. And when we finally put it to a vote, the outcome was three to two in favor of moving towards affirming a marriage at Pearl Church. And, and Mike sent a letter out to our membership in August of 2015. While it was anticipated that this announcement to broaden our marriage practice would create some waves, we had not anticipated some of the backlash that we experienced. The year following that decision was full of more difficult conversations and tense meetings and lots of sad goodbyes. Mike and Carl were on the board with me then, and I'd like to invite both of them back now to join me. Hi, Carl. Hello. Well, this question is to both of you, um, and, and you can take turns sharing. This doesn't have to be perfect by any means. But as you look back on Pearl during that time, what specifically stands out to you now? <laughs> what specific? So many things. <clears throat> um, I think one of the questions you had for me was what it was like being a volunteer leader, um, because obviously board members are not paid and um, everyone kind of rotates at Pearl. I love that about our church, the leadership kind of rotates. But um, when I try to think to that specific time, if I were to put one word to it, I think it would be intense. <laughs> um, maybe I toyed with excruciating, <clears throat> but um yeah, I think each of us probably lost some friends through the process, so that was definitely um, challenging. But really, you know, when I look back at it now, I also think that it was a really hopeful time, and I think that's more important, and that's kind of what I what I prefer to focus on in my own heart anymore. Is that it was there was a lot of turmoil, but it was a really hopeful and and beautiful time. And so I think that there's sort of those polarities for me of kind of the the intensity and pain, but also the beauty and the hope that was beginning to emerge. Yeah. Yeah. Mike, what would you like to add to that? Yeah, I would, I would say in, in, in some ways it's like, um, like, like a, it had, it had the, the epicness of like a Shakespearean tale or it, it had like the, the violence and beauty of the birth of a child. Uh, it, it was, you know, to use the word that Carl decided not to use, excruciating. Uh, but in the, it, at the exact same time as the excruciating experience that we were having, there it was held with this hope uh, and this desire for something new to to grow up that we that we believed. I think at the deepest part of ourselves was was necessary and and so deeply good, and and so I, I think it was a lot of pain with with a lot of hope kind of like the birth of a child to, to both of you what would you say compelled you to continue to press into that 
excruciating pain? What was what was the hope on the other side of this major decision for our church? I mean, I would say what compelled me forward was just that I believed so firmly in in what we were doing. Um, I would say I am a peacemaker at heart, and um, I value things like gentleness and kindness and it felt like this invitation that we were offering to me was on the one hand sort of a new experiment you know like there's not a lot of churches where we look around and say hey let's try to agree to disagree on some profound issues <laughs> um and but it, it also didn't feel that radical to me and i felt like what we were offering was actually so hopeful and so generous like this this sort of experiment what if we could do church in a new way where we're able to disagree and so um i think that that sort of hope and promise compelled me forward um i'll actually quote mike here and i hope i'm not going to steal something you were going to say mike um but i remember in the midst of the process mike had a conversation with someone outside of pearl who really challenged him that like if you want to make it through this you need to develop thicker skin and um i think i was reflecting on that conversation like later on that same day with mike as he was processing what this person had said to him and, and he said um that he didn't like the idea of thicker skin, because I think maybe it had connotations of callousness. And there were people that were maybe hurt or angry and even responding in ways that were disappointing to us. Um, but we didn't want to be callous to that. And so the quote, this is what Mike said, and this is stuck with me, is um, I don't think I want thicker skin. I want thicker conviction. And I think that really sums up for me what kept us pressing on in the face of the challenges that I, we had thick conviction to begin with, but through the process and through the positive responses and the joyful, hopeful responses are, for me, my conviction just continued to thicken. So. I love that. Thanks, Cole. Yeah. And, and I would say with thicker conviction, some language that's come to me over the last couple of years has uh, come from Glennon Doyle and her encouragement and I would say even exhortation to trust your gut and to rest into your knowing. And, and I think that was a big difference from 2001 to 2015 and 2001. I think we basically started our parents' church. And in mm -hmm. 2015, we were starting our church based on our own experiences and convictions that we had grown up into for, you know, the 10, 15 years that we had been doing Pearl together. Yeah. Well, I just want to say one thing. I was asked one time at a meeting back then um, by someone, what would you do differently looking back now? And I actually didn't get the chance to answer it because Mike and Carl both answered beautifully. I don't remember exactly what you said, but it was beautiful. Uh, but what I held from that time that I never got to say was that I wouldn't change anything that we did. And granted, it was imperfect. And there were things that we could do differently and we, you know, maybe should have done differently. I don't know. I hate shoulds. But what we did was beautiful and I wouldn't change a single thing. It was an honor yeah. to be a part of it. 
So if I just could say one more thing in closing, because Abby told me I had to say this. Um, <laughs> no, we were we were actually just talking about that time period like two or three days ago, and we were recalling a lot of stuff that was going on. And Abby said, "Yeah, Pearl really blew up at that time." And I kind of paused for a second. I said, "No, I think that we blew open." And she was like, "Oh, you have to say that on Sunday morning." <laughs> so I'm saying it now. But I really think it's true, and I think that for a lot of us even the probably the three of us and a lot of other people in that moment, it felt like things were blowing up. But what I feel now is that we just blew open. And I really think that the spirit can breathe among us more freely now because of that, because we're more open. Um, and I'm just so thankful to have been able to be part of that. Yes. Thank you. Thank you both. Appreciate it. Well, word travels quickly when a church makes a, a big move like that in a small, relatively small Christian world of Portland. And there were those who found us fairly soon after that decision went out. Among those who joined our community at that pivotal moment in our history were Dave and Tino Califf, and I'd like to have them join me now. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, thanks for having us. So we actually... We started coming to Pearl in May of 2015. So it was like before, you know, the letter went out. And we we had met Brian Cheney through a mutual friend group of gay Christians. And he had communicated that Pearl was a non-affirming church with kind of like things bubbling up. And, <laughs> you know, like, okay, well. So like what I remember from that, when we first started going was, you know, we walked in, we were dating at, at the time, we weren't married, and we but we walked in as an openly gay couple and, you know, introduced each other as each other's boyfriend. And being in that space of, like, something, like, I remember that sense of, like, there's something happening, and people were super friendly, and some people seemed not as friendly and this kind of like ten it's like where the, the air was electric for reasons yes. we weren't aware of yeah <laughs> you know it was just like okay brian was right something's happening in this church but but all along it felt i remember we asked uh carl and abby out for on a like double date <laughs> we remember we both been like super nervous as after we like because we had met them at church and then we like emailed them to ask if they wanted to like meet up for drinks and feeling like that sense of like when you're asking someone out on a date, like, <laughs> just like, oh my God, what are they, what are, they are they gonna say yes? Like, <laughs> are, they, are, are they gonna like us? <laughs> and we went and we had beers at Bridgeport Brewery, like on the uh, Northwest, and it was so nice. And yeah, so that first summer before the famous letter went out, when the letter went out, we weren't members yet, so we didn't get the letter, but we of course heard what had happened. And, so that brought us to like that immediate season after that. I'm just going to let Dave take it from there. <laughs> yeah, uh, that that those first kind of early days after kind of the blowing open, as Carl put it, um, I think we were left feeling very raw um, with people we loved. And rather than just share how I feel now, I thought it'd be nice to share. We were blogging at the time. And so this is almost like a diary entry from the time. I'm going to share a very short passage about how we were feeling. The experience of pain and suffering is so much more visceral when it happens to something you love. I'm angry at the people who have left our church, even though I never got the chance to know them before their departure. I have some very unchristian daydreams about them. What I want to tell them is that I've spent my entire adult life attending non-affirming churches, 
volunteering and tithing, even in the midst of being marginalized and diminished. And in spite of that, I stayed. I want to grab these people and shout, what gives you the right to leave the church the moment you don't agree with something? I've been disagreeing with the church for years, and yet I've chosen to stay in community. All that time, I've loved Jesus enough to endure your reproach. Were we not called to do life together? Was I the only one who took that oath seriously? I'm sad because I see the toll it has taken on our church. There are Sundays when so many chairs are empty that it has nearly brought me to tears. (laughs) Stop crying. (laughs) This church deserves better. And I feel guilty because our church did this for people like me. Although Tino and I had nothing to do with their decision, we're all the beneficiaries of the change. Soon we will enjoy the benefit of being married by our pastor and with much of our church family in attendance. Our church is suffering because it prayerfully made a decision that had no practical impact on the vast majority of its members. But it holds to the principle that it's better to err in the direction of kindness and love than in the direction of rules and righteousness. In my fantasies, love is given and received and there is no cost, but we know this to be false. Christ surrounded himself with the most controversial of people and his price for loving them was high. We'd stop blogging, um, uh, and so we didn't really capture what happened after that, which is just um, the this, the dawn uh, after a dark night where um, person by person, couple by couple, family by family, um, people found Pearl, um, and it became um, a refuge, not only for LGBTQ plus Christians, but for people whose theology had been shifting and no longer aligned with their old church. And that for us is what Pearl was. We felt so held and loved in a space and that had never been um, our church experience before. Thank you both so much for sharing, for sharing that blog post. We, um, we grew up a lot as leaders and as a community during that time. <clears throat> Of defining of defining what kind of community that we wanted to be in the world, one where all women and all LGBTQ plus family members could fully participate and bring their whole beautiful selves here and belong without question. And from this point, we transitioned, I believe, into young adulthood. And in and in 2017, we made yet another shift. Moving away from the Apostles' Creed as the grounding language that we affirmed in order to belong at Pearl, to inviting everyone to participate in the Christian life through our rhythms and our values. Foundational to the growth, health, and the vitality of this church, but rarely seen in the spotlight, I'd love to invite my lifelong dear friend, Jen Roth, to talk about this shift in the life of our community as she played a big part in the formulating of the rhythms of sacred story, common table, and divine love that we affirm every week as central to our existence as a church. Jen, will you join me? Where you are. The first question that you gave me was, what do you remember about this season in Pearl's growth? moving further away from affirming doctrines and creeds in order to belong. 
I remember that being a very exciting time personally in my spiritual journey. My notion of the divine was enlarging as I read, learned, and listened. I was dismantling the boxes that God lived in and finding spiritual nourishment in ways that were freeing, new, and fresh in Buddhist teaching and meditation, on hikes in nature, in poetry, and in the arts. There were many invigorating conversations with Mike and friends at Pearl who were experiencing similar transformations. And although it was an exciting time personally, it was a difficult time for me to go to church. Mm -hmm. I had growing discomfort with much of the liturgical language, song lyrics, and creeds. At that time, our doctrinal statement was the Apostles' Creed. So we would recite it aloud together every single Sunday. I remember feeling so awkward in my blue chair, not just because the chair was uncomfortable, but because <laughs> I was so uncomfortable internally. Yeah. Would anyone notice that I was only singing certain lines of the songs, which were broad enough for me to affirm? Was it enough to affirm only certain parts of the Apostles' Creed metaphorically? All of this internal struggle led to conversations with Mike and dear friends at Pearl, who I felt comfortable enough with to discard my hat as a pastor's wife and share myself. And that's something that I've always been extremely grateful for, that within Pearl, there was space for me to be on my spiritual journey, regardless of being Mike's partner. It's not surprising that the talking led to realizing that these friends were having many of the same internal struggles. So together we asked questions like, did Jesus literally descend into hell? Is God literally coming to earth to judge the living and the dead? Is that the God that I find in my knowing and in the world? Is affirming these particular statements essential to our faith? essential to our community? Are they even good? Mm. I'm not exactly sure how it all came together, but one conversation led to another. Eventually, Pearl shifted away from the Apostles' Creed as our doctrine to being shaped by rhythms and values. Mm -hmm. And then the second question that you gave me was, how did the language of sacred story common table divine love come to be? And what was your hope with having these rhythms be the foundation of our church community? As you've heard earlier in the story of Pearl, we started holding services in a bar. So it's fitting that the sacred story, common table, divine language was also conceived in a pub. Mike <laughs> and I were on a date at Verilic Brewing in Southeast Portland. I know talking about work or the kids during what should be couples date time is taboo, according to most relationship experts, but we've never been very good at that. Our love for Pearl always seems to bleed into our conversation. It's something that our hearts are joined together in. So we sat sipping our saisons and the conversation led to Pearl. Our excitement for the folks who are finding Pearl and finding it to be relevant and meaningful. We started brainstorming words and ideas on a big unfolded napkin, purposing <laughs> to find language that would help communicate the essence of Pearl to folks in tender places regarding their faith who could potentially benefit from engaging with Pearl. 
We sought language that would situate Pearl within Christianity, but differentiate Pearl from the violent, dualistic, harmful theology within religious systems that Pearl had come out of. Yeah. We wanted the language to reflect our desire for Pearl to be a place that welcomed everyone, regardless of needing to adhere to specific doctrines or beliefs, a place where there is freedom to question, a safe space for those who had been harmed or excluded by the church, a thoughtful community where post-evangelicals could deconstruct. So as we talked, our napkin filled with words, phrases, circles, lines, and X marks, which worked into sacred story, common table, divine love. I remember the date ending, heading home to our three kids, carrying our napkin scribbles with a full and hopeful heart. Thank you so much, Jen. I love that you told that story about the napkin. <laughs> Thank you. I wish I still had it. I know. <laughs> we should have planned it. <laughs> oh, thanks, Jen. Well, here we are four years later, and we're still leaning in to these three rhythms and the values that have come to define Pearl Church. These rhythms and values are intentionally broad and open-ended because we believe that we are far from done being transformed as individuals and as a church community. And on this, our 20th birthday, we celebrate where we have come from. And we give thanks to God and to those who have journeyed with us to this place. And we recognize that we are still so young. What 20-year-old has everything in life figured out, nailed down, wrapped up nice with a bow on it, right? Next week, we return to the Ecotrust building for our first service back since COVID began. And to all who have continued to support us and participate at Pearl throughout the last year plus, thank you so very much. We look forward to seeing you in person and continuing this faith journey together. And to those who joined me today who have been with Pearl for years and years, thank you so much for sharing your perspective and your experience of being part of this community. It was beautiful and rich and such a good reminder. I invite you to pray with me as we close. God, who lives and moves and dwells within each and every one of us and in this community of faith. Remind us again today of your faithful work in our lives. Encourage us to continue to look to you and to trust in you, to lead us into greater love and inclusion as participants in this one beautiful wild life that we've been given. that this sermon inspired you to ponder the sacred, to consider the mystery and love of God, and to live bountifully. If you don't already support our work, will you begin today? You can donate easily and securely at our website, pearlchurch.org, or follow the link in the podcast notes. Thank you for partnering with us in expressing this sacred story. Mm-hmm.